You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Welcome to Port Moody. We are live tonight from Brewers Row, the last stop in our series profiling the issues affecting where we live. Good evening and thanks for joining us from Port Moody tonight. We'll talk more about this city and its growth a little bit later in the show, but we begin tonight with some shocking new developments in a double murder in Vancouver's Marple neighborhood. Police releasing the names of the victims. And now, one day after saying the public was not at risk, the VPD is warning people to be vigilant. Jill Bennett has... Officers are combing a full city block, searching for any evidence after a double murder discovered Wednesday inside this Marpole home. Police found the bodies of 65-year-old Diana Ma Jones and her husband, 68-year-old Richard Jones. We haven't been able to create a, to discover a clear motive in this event. Uh, we don't know if it's targeted. We don't know if it's a random act. Around 9.30 Thursday evening, the couple's vehicle was found just a few blocks from the murder scene. Police then seized nearby surveillance video. A neighbor says she saw the white Kia leave the couple's house Tuesday night. I just saw the, the lights kind of go on and it leave, drive, pull away from outside the house. Um, and also my partner had seen their door, their back door open. The couple had an Airbnb listing in the home, but Airbnb confirms there was no booking at the time of the murders. Police say at this point there is no connection between the crime and the short-term rental. Oh, they're just this lovely couple, you know, in their 60s. Um, yeah, she's super active. We always used to see her in the garden. Diana Ma Jones. Ma Jones was a highly respected occupational therapist at GF Strong and VGH. In June, she was honored as the Vancouver Coastal Health and Provincial Healthcare Hero. I have to say that I'm sad and shocked by uh, the loss. Diana Ma Jones was a very strong, good-willed board member for many years. Police have no motive, nothing to suggest these murders were anything but a random crime and no suspects, meaning a killer remains on the loose. And that's why we're coming forward and just reminding the public to remain vigilant, um, report suspicious activity to us. Let us filter it out. Let us decide whether or not something's suspicious. But if you see something that just doesn't feel right in your gut or you feel that your safety is at risk, Call 911 immediately. Meanwhile, police say they are working around the clock to solve the double murder. Jill Bennett, Global News. A huge drug bust with a twist in Coquitlam tonight has generated nearly 60 charges against 11 people. As Nadia Stewart reports, the ages of the suspects span six decades and include three generations of the same family. Problem. Police move in to shut down a family business in Coquitlam. Three generations whose stock and trade was drugs and guns. This was a group that was largely run at the core by a family. We believe at this point in the investigation that all the major players are now facing charges. 34-year-old Andrew Leach, his 69-year-old mother Karen Leach, and Andrew's 19-year-old nephew Marcus all facing charges. This high-profile takedown on August 30th, the result of a 17-month-long investigation. 11 people facing a total of 58 charges. But it's Andrew who's accused of leading a criminal organization and who's also facing 19 other charges. This is an organized criminal group. It's our belief that was trafficking in drugs and was operating a, a strictly illegal enterprise with a lot of different drugs meant for a fairly wide audience. Police also seized four vehicles, hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash, drugs, and a significant amount of guns and ammunition. 
there were a lot of modifications or prohibited devices that you can't just walk around with in Canada. Ecstasy, Xanax, cocaine, meth, heroin and fentanyl among the drugs seized. This as the province looks to help those who buy fentanyl and other synthetic drugs only to become addicted. <laughs> the Premier says more law enforcement resources are on the way. And that means more officers and a dedicated anti-trafficking team. We're going to be working on that. Minister Farnworth has given his mandate to do that. Meanwhile, Coquitlam police say their investigation continues and there could be more charges. Nadia Stork, Global News. It's a child custody case that experts and lawyers are calling scary. RCMP taking a two-year-old Edmonton area boy from his mother, giving the boy to a father in B.C. he didn't even know. Global Edmonton's Fletcher Kent has the story for us. Fletcher. Yeah, Sophie, it really is an unbelievable story. One that sees an Alberta toddler taken from his mother on an order from a B.C. court. Well, now the child's family, legal experts, and even an Alberta court are saying the B.C. judge had no authority to make that order. Candace Potskin's week of hell is over. Her son, Dalen, is finally home. He's super excited. <laughs> I'm so happy, though. For almost a week, Potskin didn't see her son or even know where he was. Last Saturday, the family was leaving their apartment for Dalen's second birthday party when an RCMP officer stopped them. He gave me a BC order stating that the B.C. government gave him full custody of my son. The man who got custody is Potskin's ex and the boy's biological father, Kelly Swartz. I was in shock. I didn't know what to think. What I didn't know what to do. Potskin packed a bag and put her son in the waiting cruiser. Then her baffling legal battle began. How can they grant full custody to someone who's a total stranger to my kid? Like he has no, no ties to him at all. At an emergency hearing Monday, Potskin said she wasn't even made aware of Swartz's custody claim. Her lawyer argued a B.C. court can't decide custody of an Alberta child. The Alberta court agreed and ordered Dalen return to Potskin pending a full hearing, but the boy wasn't in Alberta anymore. That meant three more days of legal wrangling and three more sleepless nights. Not much more, just basically wait. It is hard. I want... I can't do anything. I really want, I feel helpless. Swartz didn't respond to an interview request. Court transcripts suggest he argued that Potskin abandoned him while the couple was in B.C. Potskin says she briefly lived there, but she wasn't with Swartz. She and her lawyer are most angry, though, with the B.C. court. He doesn't have any proof he's even the father of the child. So that's pretty scary that you can just go to a court and uh, get a, an order snatching someone else's child. I think it's very scary. With that in mind and her son back in her arms... Potskin vows to keep fighting. This can't happen. Like, if it could happen to me, it's, to one mother, it's going to happen to another, or it could. And we don't want that. I don't want that. Potskin's lawyer is still waiting to see more of the supporting documents from that BC file. Hopefully that can help make some sense of it all. But what she's seen so far doesn't ease many of her concerns. Now, we have tried contacting the BC Attorney General's office, but have yet to hear back. It's also unclear what motivated this application for full custody in the first place. Certainly those close to Potskin say there was no threat to Dalen. A support worker that's been helping the family for 18 months now told court Candace is a wonderful, caring parent. So really plenty of questions that still remain. Sophie? 
All right, thanks for that. Fletcher Kent reporting for us tonight. Two people are lucky to be alive after crashing their exotic car near Osuyas yesterday. Take a look at this McLaren 540S. It is estimated to be worth $200,000, and it crashed on Highway 3. The 28-year-old driver and 50-year-old passenger were taken to hospital, remarkably with non-life-threatening injuries. Both are from the Lower Mainland. Police believe speed was a factor, but they aren't saying exactly how fast that car was going. And West Vancouver police are tweeting about another excessive speed bust. This one of a 19-year-old novice driver doing 175 in a 90 zone on the upper levels highway. He'll have to pay a $700 fine, plus the cost of towing and seven days of impound storage, not to mention his cab ride home. ICBC is warning about a texting scam that could cause you major headaches. The text message says ICBC has sent you a refund for a red light ticket or for a traffic fine. The link then takes you to a site that asks you to enter your banking information, exposing you to potential online theft. ICBC says that even clicking on, clicking on that link could infect your phone with malware. The insurance corporation says it would never use text messages to communicate sensitive information to its customers. Drivers and transit users heading into and out of the downtown core tonight are being warned to pack their patience. Thousands of people are converging on one corner of downtown Vancouver at this hour for three major events. Thousand fans are heading for a Coldplay concert at BC Place, and just across the street at Rogers Arena, another 15,000 will be cheering for country star Miranda Lambert. Just a stone's throw away from both of those events, a few thousand people are expected at the opening of the new Park Casino later tonight. Vancouver police say if you're not attending one of those events, you might just want to stay away from the stadium area altogether. Well, Premier John Horgan has outlined exactly how he's going to spend some of the $300 million that he's committed to fighting BC's deadly overdose crisis. Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria with more details. And Keith, the treatment, uh, treatment and education are the focal points here. Exactly, Sophie. There was a big number in that uh, budget update a few weeks ago that shows the B NDP government prepared to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to fight the opioid crisis, but no details in the budget. Today, we got a bit of a breakdown. So here's what we're looking at in terms of some of the line items John Horgan is, is talking about in his speech today. First of all, more access to, to uh, naloxone kits. That's going to cost $2 million. Uh, Community Crisis Fund is a brand new initiative. That's $6 million when it's up and running for a full year starting next year. Increased training for first responders and others on the on the front lines 1.7 million dollars and increased support for anti-tracking uh, anti-trafficking initiatives for law enforcement agencies 31.3 million dollars over three years and there's also going to be a public awareness campaign john, premier john horgan telling the delegates though a reminder of just the number of people affected by this crisis again it's a very grim statistic repeated by the premier over the past year we've seen 876 lives lost due to overdoses. These are our sons and our daughters, our brothers and our sisters, our mothers and our fathers. And if today is an average day, four more people will die. That's just not acceptable to me, and I know it's not acceptable to you. 
Uh, now, John Horgan didn't stop there. Uh, uh, Sophie also announcing $66 million in funding for new uh, module housing units for the homeless in Vancouver alone. There'll be more money for other areas as well. And finally, $50,000 to woo Amazon to BC to set up its second headquarters. We're in competition with a number of Canadian cities. Not sure how successful we're going to be on that front. But John Horgan, obviously very happy today. The first NDP premier to address the UBCM in more than 16 years. Sophie? Thanks for that, Keith Baldry in Victoria tonight. Well, we're learning more about an alleged money laundering scheme involving BC casinos. The investigation stretched all the way to mainland China, Macau, and Mexico. But it's believed Richmond was at the center of the half-billion-dollar operation. How it allegedly worked, where the money came from, and the potential impact on BC's gaming industry in just over a minute. Long-distance travel in minutes. Sounds like a dream, right? Well, not if Elon Musk has anything to do with it. His idea for a space rocket airline coming up on the news hour. And caught on video, a rock slide in an area popular with climbers in Yosemite National Park. What might have caused it later? And welcome back to Port Moody. The news hour is live from Brewers Row as we wrap up our series exploring where we live. And we'll get to know uh, more about this brewery where we are being hosted tonight and the other businesses along Murray Street and more about this city and its growth as well. But first, <clears throat> pardon me, more sobering details tonight about alleged money laundering through BC casinos that's prompted an investigation by the Attorney General. A new report shedding light on the elaborate scheme that allegedly ends with gamblers walking into BC casinos with a million dollars in drug money. Paul Johnson reports. There are daily reminders that B.C. is in the grip of a deadly drug crisis. Drugs mean profits for criminals, and criminals need to launder cash to invest it. Now a new investigation by the Vancouver Sun is reporting that gangs with roots in China have built a sophisticated laundering network that uses B.C.'s casinos as the critical last link. So for about two years I've been following Vancouver's real estate market and some of the funny money that's flowing in. Sam Cooper is the investigative reporter who broke the story today after years of interviews with police and government sources. Allegations of money laundering with connections to mainland China and whale, that's massive uh, VIP gamblers recruited in, in Macau who were able to come to BC casinos and allegedly be fed cash from drug dealers, bike chips in casinos with uh, massive wads of small bills, gamble, take their winnings away and uh, and it looks like invest in in Canadian assets drug money laundered into housing investments via casinos makes for a perfect storm of issues that BC's new attorney general has been tracking for years certainly I was troubled by uh, Sam Cooper's piece that drew direct connections to the drug trade I don't think anyone had any illusions that if there was money laundering taking place in BC casinos uh, that the, the money that was being laundered was somehow the proceeds of crime. Of the casinos in question, Cooper says the epicenter was allegedly a well-known one in Richmond. It's happening at other casinos, investigators say, but River Rock is where it's really happening. A spokesperson for the River Rock Casino today declined to comment on the report and suggested we call the provincial authority that regulates casinos instead. Paul Johnson, Global News. Well, locals call it the kits of the Tri-Cities. 
this kind of undiscovered little jewel that we have here in Port Moody. From bedroom community to booming city, Port Moody's transformation up next. And one final spin for a Vancouver landmark, the iconic hotel about to check out. Well, for decades, Port Moody was a bedroom community. Most residents had to leave it to work and shop. But some locals decided they wanted to skip the commute. And that's developed a small business culture that's helping to keep residents closer to home. Ted Field reports. Rocky Point Park is the jewel of Port Moody. A great place to walk around. It's one of the reasons people move to the community. Maybe you're hungry. It's also home to Rocky Point Ice Cream, 20 years ago, the owners started the business in part because they didn't want to leave Port Moody to go to work. I went to school at the preschool here in the park, learned to swim. Um, I started with an inline skate rental company and then the next year I added ice cream and that was it. The ice cream is made right in Port Moody and is now being served to a growing number of younger families. We call it the kits of the Tri-Cities now, so people that can't afford are coming out east and, and really finding Port Moody and then really calling it home. Down the street is Moody Ales, a small business that helped create Port Moody's now famous Brewery Row. It was started by some local men who didn't want to go to East Vancouver to get a good craft beer. This kind of undiscovered little jewel that we have here in Port Moody. And they're hearing from local realtors, beer sells houses. We've heard that um, some purchasing decisions from some of their customers are based on the fact that they've got four breweries in their backyard. So, you know, it's not just, this, not just a theory, we're actually seeing that. It's great. Do you get a percentage? Do you get a cut on the deal? <laughs> well, it's just a collaboration. Another, yet another collaboration with another local business. So, and so there would be a walkway. But beer not. and ice cream loving people are coming. There are development plans for a 34 acre mill site. The challenge is to do it right so people are working and living in the same area. There's an opportunity to have over a thousand employees there. Where right now we have 40. So a thousand people who don't have to leave the community every day, they could, if they live there, they could literally walk downstairs to their job. Was that everything for you? The people down at the ice cream shop are amazed how it's all unfolded. We're lucky, yeah. really lucky. So here in Port Moody, you can have a beer. Thank you very much. You can also have an ice cream. Or you can have an ice cream made with beer. It's really Port Moody in a cup. Ted Field, Global News. <laughs> Beer and ice cream, quite a combination, Ted. All right, to talk more about how cities grow in a positive way, we're joined by Brent Totterin, who is a city planner, urbanist, uh, the founder of uh, Totterin Urban Works and former chief planner for the city of Vancouver. Thanks for coming to Port Moody to My pleasure. So uh, along uh, with that story, I was just talking about when I grew up here, mm. my parents commuted to downtown Vancouver, mm -hmm. and it took them two hours every day. But they, you know, more and more people, as Ted mentioned, are staying right here and working here. Are you right. seeing more suburbs building their communities in that fashion? Well, especially here in Metro Vancouver, we're actually an international hotbed for what's called transit-oriented development, building up essentially new suburban, you can't even call them suburban downtowns, around SkyTrain stations. And urbanists from all over the world come and study what we're doing here. And it certainly makes for a better commute if you're still a bedroom community. It's far better to be taking transit into downtown Vancouver than driving the car that long, for the, stuck in traffic that whole time. 
But increasingly, the real goal is to, to be a complete city, a complete community, not a bedroom community, not even a suburb anymore, a real urban place that functions and has a lot of those things that people feel they had to go into Vancouver for mm -hmm. in the past, but now maybe don't have to and don't want to have to go right. into downtown for. So I imagine a lot of folks here in Port Moody feel more and more these days like that's what their city is. Mm -hmm. What other examples can you point to of, of that um, uh, progress in, in city planning? Well, as I say, we're teaching, we're really teaching the rest of the world how to do this through density, through great urban design, uh, doing it in a way that isn't car oriented, but makes walking, biking and transit work. I do a lot of work in Australia. They're doing a lot there. But frankly, they're coming here to study how we're doing it. If we want to go somewhere else to learn, we have to go to Latin America, we have to go to Europe. Sometimes it's hard to translate those ideas yeah. to our context, but it's all about being able to walk, bike, take public transit, uh, do things within your own community, mm -hmm. and not feel you have to even debate taking a car or taking transit to go far, because everything's up close. All right, Brent, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Brent Totteran, you can follow him on Twitter. He's got quite a following. Totteran Urban Works, and thank you for joining us once My again. My pleasure. It's the end of an era in Vancouver's West End as the Empire Landmark Hotel prepares to close for good. The 357-room hotel at 1400 Robson with the revolving restaurant on top was built back in 1973. The last check-in at the hotel is today, and the Cloud Nine restaurant will serve its final guests tomorrow. The property sold last year for $46.5 million and will soon face the wrecking ball. It's being redeveloped into two new towers, more than 30 stories tall, which will include market condos, social housing, as well as retail and office space. For hotel staff, it's a sad day. We are sad to see the things go because it's considered to be a landmark in the city and Overall, along the city, I mean, among the cities, hotels, I think uh, something like us is unique. Reservations for the Cloud Nine restaurant have been booked for the entire month of September as patrons try to get one last look at that Does remarkable Does it go that view. fast? I don't think it goes that fast. Because, because if it did, I'm be. not going to be able to keep my dinner down. No, no. <laughs> With okay. the power of technology and the magic of television, That's right. okay. I think we sped it up a little bit. <laughs> Someone, let's go make it go faster. <laughs> like it's a P&E ride. So this isn't so bad on a yeah, Friday evening. We get to no. hang out at a brewery. Yes. Parkside uh, Brewery, our host for this evening here on Brewers Row in Port Moody. And you'll be at Yellow Dog coming up. That's right. So we'll be talking to the owner down there. I don't know who the city of Port Moody had to pay off, but they welcomed us with the most beautiful rainbow. Did you see it? I missed it. I did. Oh, You're under the tent. Sunshine and blue sky back yeah, there too. Exactly. Uh, it's been an interesting 24 hours weather-wise from uh, close to record-breaking temperatures yesterday to showers today. So we'll tell you why coming up in weather. And you've got an interesting story about what could have been here. This could have been the big city in BC. It was supposed to be, but something happened and it ended up being Vancouver. We'll tell you how that happened. All right, guys, we'll talk to you both in a bit. Now from living on the streets to walking them right across the country. We did the impossible. We pushed for change. His epic journey from addict to advocate. Plus, a mosque under scrutiny by the CRA and new allegations. It's Imam is still running the show from behind bars. We were right under that. We were right under that. And I'm really afraid that there were some people there. 
looks like smoke. A climber's helmet camera capturing a major rock slide on El Capitan in California's Yosemite National Park on Thursday. Hundreds of tons of granite plummeted to the ground. Two people were hurt by the falling debris. Just one day earlier, another rock fall on El Capitan killed a British tourist, his wife critically injured. Geologists say the breaks could have been caused by the constant heating and cooling of the granite, which is a natural process. The park has not been closed to climbers. Now to more explosive claims about a B.C. charity. A Canada Revenue audit of the Islamic Society of B.C. showed tens of thousands of dollars in donations were spent for personal use from October of 2010 until September 2013. Now the whistleblower who went to the authorities alleges the man accused of using the charity as his own personal bank account is still running it from prison. Ramina Dea reports. Sadaldin Bar needs to be removed from the board of directors. This was one of the CRA's key conditions for allowing the Islamic Society of BC to keep its charitable status. What changes there? The side is not gone. Whistleblower Abdullah Rahimi says the CRA investigation began after members of the Muslim community complained about how the charity was being run. He now feels like it was all for nothing. Most of our community uh, people, if you talk to them, they believe that Saad is still from jail. He's running the show. Bar, the former president and imam of the Islamic Society, is serving a three-and-a-half-year sentence for sexually assaulting a woman at the mosque. Federal regulators said he spent $127,000 of charity money between October 2010 and September 2013, mostly on personal items like a spa, video games, jewelry, and even hair dye. While the CRA concluded it had sufficient grounds to revoke the society's charitable status and impose a $126,000 fine for bar spending, it did not, reducing the penalty to nine grand for issuing improper donation receipts. After the charity agreed to a number of changes, including removing Barr from the board, today Barr is not listed as a member of the charity's board. This is a joke. The CRA at least should have been cleaning up the entire system. There is something is wrong with the management of this, this charitable organization. So what do you think the CRA should have done with the board? dissolve the entire directors. The conservatives questioning, where's the accountability? We don't know why the fine was uh, reduced. Uh, the minister will have to, uh, to answer for that. We tried to get answers from the Minister for National Revenue. What does it take for a charity to lose its license? And will this case be reviewed? The CRA says the Tax Act forbids anyone working with the agency, including the minister, from discussing a particular case. On Thursday, the lawyer for the Islamic Society said claims of Barr still in charge from jail was news to him. He would look into it, but we did not receive a response. Romina Dea, Global News. A remarkable cross-country odyssey ended in Vancouver today. For more than a year, Joe Roberts put one foot in front of the other, walking across Canada while pushing a shopping cart, all in the fight to end youth homelessness. Here's Linda Aylesworth. 9,100 kilometers, we're walking into the downtown east side. 22 pairs of runners ago, on May 1st, 2016, Joe Roberts left St. John's Newfoundland on foot and began his cross-country push-for-change campaign. 
Our dream right from the very beginning was to engage the country in a conversation on what we need to do to make a shift and prevent youth homelessness from happening. Joe was himself a homeless youth once upon a time. He lived in the downtown east side on the very streets he walked through on this, the final day of his 517-day journey. But I got lucky. I had a mom that wouldn't quit. I got to go back to school after I dealt with the alcohol and drug problems. But for years it was just it was horrible to watch. You know, crawling on his belly full of cocaine. You love them where they're at. You're going to make me cry. You have to just be there. Thank you so much. Thank you. But it takes more than love to pull a life spiraling out of control back on track. The goal of Joe's push for life, which took him through 10 provinces at an average of 25 kilometers a day, was to raise awareness and funds that might help towards prevention. Our best opportunity is to identify those key pieces, uh, early childhood trauma, family conflict, alcohol, drugs, mental health, and support that young person with wraparound services so they don't end up on the street. What Joe has done is really brought the country together to have a conversation about how to support our young people. <laughs> we made it. You know, you start with a dream and a possibility and you put one foot in front of the other and you surround yourself with good people and you can accomplish anything in this world. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, it's known today as a suburb of Vancouver, but Port Moody was once on track to be Vancouver. Port Moody was supposed to be the main city on the West Coast. Still to come, how this city almost turned out very differently. And up next, the RCMP's newest recruit and the letter that got him in the door. And Christy's at Yellow Dog Brewing just down the way from us. We'll check in with her right after a break. We're live in Port Moody tonight for the news hour, checking out places where we live. Uh, and this apparently is the place to be on a Friday night, Brewer's Row. I'm at Parkside Brewery. Christy's at Yellow mm -hmm. Dog Brewing just a few doors down. This is a very tough life for us, Christy. <laughs> I know. We know what we're doing after this shift, right? Uh, you know, we love our dogs, our community, and, of course, our beer. That's the theme here at Yellow Dog uh, Brewery, and you can certainly feel it. We're going to be talking to the owner in just a second, but we had a very interesting uh, 24 hours weather-wise. Let me show you the numbers from today as a comparison to yesterday. We didn't break any records yesterday, but we certainly came close. Inland today, heated up to 17 degrees. Yesterday, Chilliwack was at 29. They dropped 12 degrees in the last 24 hours, whereas western sections, a good five. You felt the difference. And on the satellite image, we have a number of lightning strikes. So although we're looking at a little bit of a clearing right now, still a slight risk of a thunderstorm across the region before that system pushes out. And when we pull out, you'll see that we have another disturbance right in behind it. So our Saturday is still looking a little unsettled. Those of you in the interior, you'll be contending with that first front for the next 24 hours, so cloud and showers, and it is going to get a lot cooler. So this is your tomorrow, the bulk of the rainfall to the far northeast, otherwise a chance of showers in through areas like Prince George, and then down across the south, all areas have a chance of showers as well. So Saturday certainly looking unsettled, and you also have a slight chance of showers Sunday morning, but it should be drier later on for you. South coast regions, a 60% chance of showers for you on a Saturday. You will see... Um, 
cooler temperatures as well, but keep in mind these temperatures are near average for this time of year, so it's not too bad. It's just that we've been so lucky with that uh, sunshine for the last couple of days. Now on Sunday we look at mainly dry conditions, but mainly cloudy, and then as we head towards our Monday we'll see more sunshine, but temperatures will stay a little on the average, but we'll take it. We'll take that sunshine into next week. All right, quick look at your birthdays for tonight. Happy birthday to, oh, we lost that. I'll get to tell you the birthdays here. Happy birthday to Ava Hillis. She turned 101 and Doug Anderson, 100. Congratulations to you both. Now, here I am with, with uh, Mike. Ha- uh, sorry, your last name. Thank you. Um, he's the owner, along with his wife, Melinda, here at uh, Yellow Dog. Now, you were the first brewery here in Port Moody. Why did you pick Port Moody? Um, my wife and I had lived downtown for a long time and explored the brewery scene there, and we're, we're big beer lovers and stuff. And uh, we had a kid, so we decided to move out to the suburbs, uh, have a little more space, raise our kid, have a backyard, things that I had when I was a kid. And when we came out here, we found that one of the things we missed was that community aspect of a brewery. So we looked around, and we'd done the research for Vancouver already, and we're like, you know, it would fit really well in Port Moody. Like, the people we met were all the same kind of boat that we were in, and in, in the end, it turned out to be a good decision, so... It sure is. I mean, there's kids here tonight, and it really creates a nice feel, and that's why your, your theme is really, you know, we love our dogs, we love our, our community, and uh, as you certainly can feel it. Uh, you're a full-fledged brewer, brewer, brewery, so how many beers do you have, say, for example, on a night like tonight? Uh, we got anywhere from, like, six to ten anytime. Like, tonight, I think we have nine or ten on tap, and we kind of do make all different kinds of beers for all different kinds of people, so... Tell us what you have here. Uh, we got our Take a Walk Wit. Uh, we have our Shake a Paw Smoke Border, which won BC Beer of the Year a couple years ago. We got our High Five Hazy IPA, and then we got our Play Dead IPA. All right, I'm going to try the High Five here. Oh, yeah. High Five on that. Okay. Thanks, Mike. No worries. Thanks for coming. Okay. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Christy. A dream came true today for a 10 year old boy. In May, Harley wrote a letter to the RCMP saying that when he grows up, he wants to be an RCMP officer, and he asked what he needed to do to make that happen. Well, this morning, he and his mom were invited to the Burnaby Detachment, and Harley was able to sit on a Harley. I think it's a a pretty cool job. It's like uh, doing what you want to, and then you get paid. It's like really cool. It was a really cool letter that he wrote us, and uh, I wanted to meet him in person. He's here. We've uh, presented him with his own Stetson as well. So he's well on his way to uh, becoming a member of the RCM. Looks pretty good, Harley. Well, how would you like to get to London from L.A. in about half an hour? Billionaire Elon Musk is proposing to do just that. The founder of SpaceX unveiled plans this morning for the Big Falcon rocket. With a maximum flying speed of 27,000 kilometers an hour, Musk says it will transport humans anywhere on Earth in under an hour for about the same price as an economy airline ticket. So a hypersonic trip from New York to Shanghai would theoretically take 39 minutes instead of the current non-stop time of about 15 hours. Don't book your, book your ticket just yet, though. It is still in the design phase. Well, Eric, 
Brent Totteron talked about transportation, right? <laughs> Got to get places easier and faster. Yeah, I know. I just don't know if I'm big on the rocket flight yet. On the 39-minute trip from yeah, New York to I Shanghai? Yeah, I may be great to do a 39-minute trip, but I don't know if I want to go into space and come back down. Oh, you know what I smell? I, I love just, there's a lot of great places in Port Moody. Rose's Cucina. Just down the street from just here. Just down the street from here. Another great place, too. Mm. One reason to come to Port Moody. Another reason to come to Port Moody. Oh, the biggest surprise at Canucks camp this year is uh, Darren Archibald. To be successful in this league, I'm going to have to, you know, use my size and be heavy on the body. How the minor leaguer is making a major league push with the Canucks. And later, how does this sound? The Port Moody Canucks. Kind of has a ring to it, doesn't it? How this city almost became what Vancouver is today. Oh, yeah. All right. Squire, what's going on? Well, I'm going to talk about the Canucks. It's almost regular season time. They did reduce their roster a bit today, and Nikolai Godolbin sent to Utica. He wasn't happy about it. Anton Rodin put on waivers. He'll expectedly clear, and then he'll go to Utica as well. Uh, the Canucks feel Rodin needs to play a lot more after missing most of last year and a half, really, with a serious knee injury. The uh, Canucks are also wondering, what do we do with Ole Levy? They can either send him back to junior or... They can send him to Finland so he could play a year there. One guy who's still around, and it is a surprise, is veteran minor leaguer Darren Archibald, a favorite of Travis Green's when he coached Archibald in the American Hockey League last season. Sweeps it across. Oh, big head as Matteau is rocks. Darren Archibald is realizing the quickest path to the NHL is a straight one, as in straight through your opponent. The six foot three, two hundred twelve pound Archibald has been a wrecking ball in the preseason, and it's kept him in the conversation to start the year in Vancouver. Uh, he brings an element of a big body and a guy that can skate, and that's uh, it's hard to find in this league. So that's why he's still here. Archibald is hungry to take that final step to the NHL. He did play 16 games for the Canucks a few years ago, scoring his first NHL goal, but Archibald's played over 400 minor league games and feels at 27 he finally knows who he is as a player. You know, back then I think I was no more kind of a tweener. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure you know, what, what kind of player I wanted to be and you know, I know to be successful in this league I'm going to have to you know, use my size and be heavy on the body and uh, you know, create some room for other guys out there. Puck cleared out. Here's Archibald on a breakaway. Scores! Archibald had a great year in Utica last season, scoring a career-high 23 goals and 47 points. It was his fourth season under current Canucks coach Travis Green. I think he's really helped me develop as a player down in Utica over the last, you know, few years. And, uh, you know, I've, I've realized what I need to be doing out on the ice every night to, to be successful. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, adapt and, and bring it to, to this level too and, you know, play my game. Travis has a trust level in him, you know, having coached him for a while. And, you know, but he's, he's had a good cap and he's in, he's in the discussion. Archibald and the rest of the Canucks will find out who will make the starting roster on Sunday. Very delay, Global Sports. If the Whitecaps thought visiting Seattle on Wednesday was no fun, wait until they get a load of Kansas City tomorrow. Sporting KC is one of three teams that's just one point behind the first place Whitecaps. Vancouver has never won an MLS game in Kansas City. In fact, Kansas City hasn't lost a home game to anybody this year. They are 10-0-5 in their house. Well, they always 
try to make their home strong. And now we are thinking in, in winning. We we doesn't care about what happened before. Now in the present is is try to get those three points. It's not gonna be easy, but um, nothing in in this tournament is easy. Representing the international team, Hideki Matsuyama and Adam Hadwin. And Matsuyama and Hadwin were taking on Jordan Spieth and Patrick Reed at the uh, President's Cup today. Hadwin didn't get to play yesterday, but he played four ball today. And he played pretty well. Great shot on 13. They actually were leading this event, but eventually the Americans came back and tied things up. Spieth had actually a chance to win it for the Americans in 18, but uh, lipped out. The U.S. is an 8-2 lead. Tomorrow, Hadwin will play with Adam Scott in alternate shot competition. And help out there with the young quarterbacks. Red Blacks, Rough Riders, Canucks, and Canucks make that Lions hoping for a Red Blacks win. Greg Ellingson, the touchdown, Ottawa up 11-0 at the half, but in the third quarter, the Riders needed a spark and they would get one. Christian Jones is going to go 97 yards, that is, all the way back the other way. If Saskatchewan loses, they would be tied with the Lions at 6-7. and seven. If they win, it would be two points up on BC. Latest score, good news for the Lions. There you go. Okay, coming up after break, you're going to be talking about what almost was. What here. almost was here. This could have been huge. Oh, it could have been, been huge. Could have been huge. We're back in a moment. Oh, no, that's, that's oh, way back there. There, right there. Right there. <laughs> This one is me. That's you, okay. Port Moody, senior secondary. <laughs> Not that one, in the, this one. Okay. I know. We know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> we found the yearbook. Okay, we'll put this away for safekeeping. Okay, now. so you could have been raised in the biggest city in BC mm-hmm. if the Canadian Pacific Railroad hadn't changed its mind a hundred and some odd years ago. Here's the story. This is a story of what might have been. Port Moody was supposed to be the main city on the West Coast. That's because the Canadian Pacific Railroad was supposed to stop in Port Moody and not continue to Vancouver. It would have meant that instead of being a growing suburb of Vancouver, Port Moody would have been what Vancouver is now. Tall buildings, a happening downtown. Your favorite hockey team might have been the Port Moody Canucks. Jim Miller of the Port Moody Museum says there was land speculation everywhere in the area in anticipation that a big city would soon grow. Where would the tall buildings be? Uh, the tall buildings would probably all be uh, this whole section between right up on the chines, right down to the water. And that would have been like the main downtown that, area. That would have been the main downtown area. But just over a year after making Port Moody the main terminus, the railroad decided Vancouver should be the last stop instead. Why? Because they got a whole bunch of free land. The railway managed to get a deal and got 6,500 acres of land in Coal Harbor and English Bay, and they moved the end of the line to Vancouver. You see, the problem was the railroad didn't own any of the land in Port Moody. And that didn't sit well with Canadian Pacific boss William Cornelius Van Horn. If you didn't cooperate with CPU, you uh, kind of got left out in the cold. Uh, the, 
the Royal Engineers actually owned this area. If the railroad had owned this land, what do you think would have happened? Uh, they would have stayed here. They would have uh, developed here. So basically, Port Moody lost its status as the big city because of a land deal. Yes. But when you look at Port Moody today, I don't think many have a problem that they aren't the big city of BC. All right. I think it did pretty well. It yeah. did pretty well. I'll uh, let well. Vancouver have all the... Uh... Okay, Squire somehow has all the beer here. We're at Parkside Brewery, and uh, Vern Lamborn is the co-owner and brewmaster here. Thanks for being our host tonight. Well, thank you for coming down. It's a good crowd. This is what Friday nights are like here, hey? This is a bit of a slow Friday night for us, oh, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, come down and visit us. You all know, right. My favorite part is there's a, a girl doing gymnastics back there. Everyone's just enjoying... Oh, Why not? Really? It's a family affair down here. It's great. Okay, let's get into this beer because Christy got to try some at Yellow Dog. Mm -hmm. What are we going to sample here? Well, the first one we have there, the mm -hmm. one that you've grabbed, is yeah. our Don Pilsner. Number two is the Dusk Pale Ale. Okay. Uh, okay. Number three is the Graffiti IPA. And the last one is the Dimwit, which is our wheat beer. Oh, the, the Dimwit? Dimwit. <laughs> oh, that's for you, Square. Is, is that what happens after you drink it? Okay, yeah. we got to try it. You get high in your own supply? Okay, I'm hearing the Dimwit. And the year that you've been here, what's the growth been like, the reception here?